Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian book reviews contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews in creative writing. My name is Jack Khalil, and I'm the digital editor of ABR. It is difficult to imagine a more hotly anticipated novel than Irish author Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You? Fiercely embargoed advance copies have sold for vast sums on eBay, and British publisher Faber has even set up a custom Sally Rooney store, replete with branded bucket hats, tote bags, and coffee truck. The author's two prior works, Conversations with Friends and Normal People, garnered the author critical acclaim for their insights into young love in the modern age, with pundits even declaring her the first great millennial novelist. ABR critic BJ Silcox delves into Rooney's latest work for our October issue, available to read tomorrow, September 30th. In today's episode, BJ first discusses the entangled process of critiquing Beautiful World, Where Are You?, before reading her review in full. BJ Silcox. Greetings, ABR listeners and readers. This is BJ Silcox here with my review of Sally Rooney's new novel, her third novel. You may have heard something about it. The immoderately hyped, pre-ordered, wildly speculated, record-smashing literary mega-event that is Beautiful World, Where Are You? The book that launched a thousand think pieces. It's nerve-wracking as a critic, joining the great global cultural din, sitting here in Canberra in lockdown in my pyjama pants, alone at my desk, trying to decide if I have something to say or whether or not I'm just contributing to the grand cultural noise. I hope that I do, and I will leave you to be the judge of whether or not that's the case in a couple of minutes, but I'm very grateful for the chance to revisit this book. There are reviews that haunt you when you work as a literary critic, and this will haunt me. The grand myth of literary criticism is that the critic is objective, and that's a very useful myth most of the time, because how a person feels about a book is so personal, is so anchored in who they are and where they've come from and and the experiences they have in the world and how they feel about themselves in the world, that telling you how I feel about a book isn't really relevant unless you sort of know me. So I tend to try and focus on sort of empathising with the book itself and trying to create a sort of opening up discussion between what the book intends to achieve and where we are politically and culturally and sort of opening a conversation that's based upon what I think about a book. But I felt very acutely about this book. I was left for days feeling lost, hollow and heavy at the same time, a sort of disconsolate sense of bereftness that I found really difficult to shake. And I do get there at the end of this review. I can't tell whether or not Sally Rooney has brilliantly captured a sense of cultural hopelessness or whether or not she has terrifyingly and frighteningly succumbed to it. And I'm not sure whether or not I do you as readers a disservice by putting how I feel about the book inside of this review, or if I do you a disservice by not putting more of how I feel about this book and what it's trying to do inside this review. I'm torn by it. I'm torn again by the book's sense of its grand ambition to disassemble the literary industrial complex, and yet it's 
complicity in pushing that literary industrial complex forward. I hope I've managed to pin some of this to the page, but I know I haven't pinned it all and not all in the way that I hoped. That is the grand quest of literary criticism, to try and translate those those thoughts and ideas that you have to the page. Sometimes I manage it. I always try. So thank you for taking the time to engage with how I thought and felt about this book. Here it is, my review of Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You? By the time I received my heftily embargoed galley of Sally Rooney's new novel, Beautiful World, Where Are You? It would have been more lucrative to auction the book online than review it. Such is the wild demand for Rooney's fiction, the monetized eagerness. I've ruined my chances for unethical riches with my margin scrawls, dog ears, and fondness for spine breaking. Um, reading, after all, is a contact sport. But it is telling that the question I've been asked most about the novel, other than whether I intended to sell my advance copy, has not been, what do you think? But are you on Team Rooney? Popularity of any sort inevitably rouses a backlash, and it can be constructive, often revelatory, to pass the stories that capture our collective imaginations. But Sally Rooney, the literary product, not the person, has become a kind of shibboleth. To profess a grand love or distaste for her novels, or even perhaps especially a lofty indifference to them, has become a declaration of pop cultural allegiance, a statement that's almost entirely about ourselves. It's a fate that too often befalls precocious art-making women. They're turned into straw men and set publicly alight. That blaze of judgment has burned out Alice Kelleher, one of Rooney's new heroines, a self-proclaimed widely despised celebrity novelist, two bestsellers to her name and not yet 30, who's recovering from a psychiatric breakdown in a drowsy seaside town on the west coast of Ireland. I never advertised myself as a psychologically robust person capable of withstanding extensive public inquiries into my personality and upbringing, Alice confides to her closest friend, Eileen Lydon. In lending Alice her career, a literary stardom of unforeseen and intrusive ferocity, Rooney's third novel grapples with fame by staring the beast square in the eye. Alone at the coast, Alice is bereft of inspiration for her next book. Eileen, a poorly paid copy editor at a Dublin literary magazine, is grieving for a time when life felt sprung with possibility. United in their existential questing, the pair write each other old-fashioned emails of the kind that first filled our inboxes when the intimacy of letter writing collided with the digital sugar rush, heady with ideas, that whiff of manifesto. Around this epistolary core, Rooney twists two love stories, a double helix of fraught romance. Having written about messy affairs in Conversations with Friends in 2017, and the gravitational pull of first love in Normal People in 2018, the Irish author turns her poised and canny attention to early 30s nest building with all its incipient regret and self-reproach. I'm sorry to say that I think it's too late to change the way we have turned out, Eileen laments to Alice. The turning out process has come to an end and we are, to a very great extent, what we are. 
On a surly Tinder date, Alice meets Felix, a warehouse shelf stocker who has never read her books and boasts that he never will. The two share a prickly chemistry, like two agitated hedgehogs, but this heat under the barbed banter, and perhaps something more tender. Our lives have been different in basically every respect, Alice explains to Eileen, but there's a lot we recognise in one another. Meanwhile, Eileen is nursing a crush on Simon, once the bookish boy next door, now a left-wing political operative. He's a sleek-suited, high-principled dreamboat, and he worships Eileen, but also, unashamedly, the Holy Trinity. How is it possible for me to admire someone for believing something I don't believe and don't want to believe, Eileen wonders, and which I think is manifestly incorrect and absurd? As the couple move from flirtation to phone sex to between-the-sheets squelching, a word that dispassionate Rooney would never use, destabilising their decades-old friendship seems an enormous risk. Friends since university, Alice and Eileen are prototypical Rooney women, fluent in post-structuralist theory, Marxist economics and the textures of heartbreak, self-deprecating as they are self-pitying, earnest as they are droll. Elite education has wedged a gap between them and their working class families, their white working class families. And if the women are honest, and they usually are, that gulf of sophistication is a source of grief, but also titillative pride. Inhabiting such characters is a literary high-wire act. Alice and Eileen teeter on the edge of trope, but Rooney is sure-footed. I think it's one of those friendships where one person cares a lot more than the other, Alice explains, yet we're never truly sure which of the pair is the more invested. The women keep each other at a distance until the novel's final act. Their friendship is more intimate on paper, spared the heat of eyes and scrutiny, and Rooney approaches that reckoning slowly. In the interval, they write of fallen civilizations and lost languages, the hypocrisies of free market conservatism and the death of historical continuity. They write of the guilt of abundance in a world of want and misery, of God and goodness, belief and forgiveness. They write of ugliness and beauty and the ethics of porn and inescapably of looming climatic doom. Aren't we unfortunate babies to be born when the world ended. Some readers will find it all insufferably pretentious, and it is, but it's also generous and searching, the kind of conversation that can only spark between people of equal curiosities, an equal comfort with uncertainty, an equal capacity for wonder. In the novel's riskiest and most riveting move, Alice and Eileen place the literary industrial complex in their intellectual crosshairs with its hermetic cycle of production and promotion. It takes writers away from normal life, Alice tells Eileen, shuts the door behind them and tells them again and again how special they are and how important their opinions must be. Yet Alice spends the novel entirely embedded in its machinery, jetting to festivals in Rome, panels in London, signings and awards ceremonies. Rooney's avatar is scathing too of the willful forgetting that a novel demands. We can only care about the love affairs of imaginary protagonists because every other horrible, brutalising, systemic clusterfuck, every exigent, dehumanising crisis is glossily ignored. 
My own work is, well, it goes without saying, the worst culprit in this regard, Alice readily admits. But that's how we all live, Eileen counters. Do you think the problem of the contemporary novel is simply the problem of contemporary life? And so the women go back and forth, dissecting and defending the novel, vulgar or humane, trite or necessary, empathetic or myopic. Of course, fiction can be each and all of these things, and that is its slippery power. Like Alice, Rooney is grappling with the ethics and reach of that power, reconciling its pleasures, privileges and discomforts, and she's placed her doubts in the fretful heart of this book, a debate about the worth of the love story inside a love story. Rooney's penchant for literary romance is often wielded like some kind of gotcha, proof that she's not worth taking seriously. It's a thinly veiled and tiresome misogyny, the dismissible realm of the girly. This novel is her rejoinder. In the midst of everything, the state of the world being what it is, humanity on the cusp of extinction, here I am, writing another email about sex and friendship, Eileen writes. What else is there to live for? Much praise has been heaped, and rightly so, on this novel's execution. Rooney's laser-cut dialogue and ever-watchful eye, her crisp, unjudgmental eroticism, her granular attention to the rhythms and ticks of pre-pandemic life, supermarket ready meals and office drudgery, all the indolent swiping and texting and lurking of the digital world, all those lidless blue screen eyes. In her pages, dishes in an apartment sink become a quiet metaphor. A shared look at a wedding becomes a tacit declaration. It's all very Edith Wharton, a decorous cool, a liquid nitrogen burn. But the gender dynamics of Rooney's love stories are unsettling. One erosive, the other infantilizing. Felix is a miserable bully, searching for people's bruises and pressing on them, whistling to himself when he lands on a particularly tender spot. He speaks of Alice with the same disdain he reserves for the spaniel his landlord abandoned. You have a lot in common with her, you know, he tells the skittish dog of Alice. You're both in love with me. Every exchange between Alice and Felix feels like combat, offcuts from some sour-hearted Edward Albee play. You're only letting me act badly because it puts you above me, he snipes at her, and that's where you like to be, above, above. Felix, his indifference to Alice's writing career is so loud, so tenacious, we begin to wonder if she has chosen him as the embodiment of her own unease, as a reminder of how unspecial she is, or as some kind of penance for her success. The match fizzes with cruelty. Eileen and Simon, on the other hand, have built their friendship around his ever-steady competence and her need for rescue. Whenever a girl asks me to open a jam jar, I kind of fall in love with her. Simon admits, I do find his paternalistic beliefs about women charming, Eileen confides in Alice. And what first seems like erotic play, daddies and princesses, dutiful wives and capable husbands, soon emerges as a cover for other desires. I just have this sense that if Simon had taken me under his wing earlier in life, Eileen explains, I might have turned out a lot better. There are echoes here of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's flea bag and her character's transgressive confession. I just think I want someone to tell me how to live my life. 
and also of Rooney's previous novels, which dabble in the power dynamics of subjugation. But it's troubling, dispiriting to find a message of surrender and cultural repeat trussed up as a love song. But what are we meant to want for these clever, adrift women? Is pairing off the gentle triumph, it seems, or is it a failure of imagination or perhaps of nerve? As Alice and Aileen ponder in their emails, the the marriage plot is a tired punchline to a bad joke. Traditional marriage was obviously not fit for purpose and almost ubiquitously ended in one kind of failure or another, Aileen writes. But when we tore down what confined us, what did we have in mind to replace it? And this is the question that gnaws in this novel. What's next? Not just for sex or love or marriage, but for the whole mighty human mess. There's a palpable bereftness in this novel. And it's hard to untangle whether Rooney is capturing or succumbing to it and whether that distinction matters at all. There is no question mark in Rooney's title. It's presented as a lament, an elegy, not a quest. Beautiful world, where are you? We are standing in the last lighted room before the darkness, Rooney writes, bearing witness to something. It's a ghostly line, exquisite and painful, and it's presented in this novel with all the grace and dignity of a calling. But it too is a trust surrender. I prefer another line from literature's lengthening shadows. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Thanks for listening to the ABR podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 per month for digital. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Jack Khalil and Clancy Balin, who edit the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.